Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhal, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I'm sitting down with Opal co-founder and head of the exercise and sport program, Kara Bazzi. Hi, Kara. Hi. Today we're talking about the intersection of exercise and emotion. Is that yes. right? Yes, 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 we are. Some people probably have a lot of emotion around exercise, but I wonder how many people are often thinking about their relationship to exercise through a lens of their relationship to emotion. Yes. Can you lay that out for us? Yes. I th- I'm very excited to talk about this today because I think it's one of those things that's unexamined by a lot of people. Um, and yet it's very present, whether people are exercising as a way to regulate emotion, whether they're avoiding exercise in order to not feel certain emotion, whether they are showing up to a particular exercise or sport to feel a particular emotion. There's a lot to be said, but I I think what I want to say at the beginning is also just the cultural beliefs about exercise and emotion. And the belief that comes to mind when I think about just the broader cultural context is that exercise will make you happier. Hmm. What do you think about that, Carter? <laughs> I, I get it. I mean, I know that there are endorphins. At, uh, that's what I hear, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the science that's always, uh, you know, it's sort of a pop science at this point yes. around endorphins being released through exercise and that always making you happier. The runner's I've, high. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've had that experience, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. There have been other emotions, too. Right. Or no emotions at times right. as well. Yeah, it's a lot more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yet I think this idea that exercise will make you happier makes it a little bit more complicated to explore this part of our relationship with exercise because I think it's brought on, at least my experience has been, it's brought on a typical or like a particular type of pressure or expectation of what exercise will do. And it's actually seen, if you think about it, exercise is often seen as a solution. It's it's seen as a solution to fix some type of problem. And the problem generally is related to, uh, as we know, a body shape. So it can fix by making you, quote unquote, thinner. Or it can be a solution to fix you're not feeling well. You're feeling low. You're feeling bad about yourself. You're feeling depressed. Oh, exercise, right? It's very prescribed by doctors, by parents, by coaches, by friends, as a solution to fix either negative affect, depression, body shaping, etc. <laughs> I was just in Europe last month, and I was just thinking about how one of the, my experiences there was just that I was walking so much more in my day to day life there than I was I do here. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of movement that just was happening naturally through the day. And not something that was focused on as like, I'm going to do this so that, you know, it, it wasn't exercise. It was just daily movement. Right. But it, it got me in touch with sort of a, con- a concept around movement that I think is different than what you're talking about, which sounds like it's the prescriptive exercise as right. sort of um, the, medicine yes, in a exactly. way. Exactly. Exactly. I think to kind of bring more context to that exercise as medicine belief. I'd love to talk about actually what the research says, because I think we're sort of misinformed around this idea that exercise does help depression. So I want to present what also literature says that we don't actually hear about very often. 
Great. Um, so there is a lot to show that exercise does help improve depression. Like that is true. And if, if somebody has eating pathology, exercise is actually associated with negative affect. How do you mean? So this is different. So it's basically, the. let's see if I can explain this succinctly, <laughs> but exercise could be used to actually avoid negative affect. So instead okay. of exercising being a place to produce positive affect, su- such as in the case of people with depression, it could also be associated with avoiding negative affect. So for example, if I have, so this is where in the compulsive exercise, I have to compulsively exercise and do this. If I do not do my exercise, my exercise routine, I will feel anxiety. I will feel guilt. I will feel like a failure, right? And so I'm, I now have to do my exercise in order to avoid those symptoms of those feelings. And if someone is, is struggling with some eating pathologies as well, you might also find that that person's avoiding experience of their body in a particular way because of the food. Right. Because of their relationship to sort of maybe a more compensatory exactly. behavior around exercise. Exactly. So if eating pathology is present, this kind of affect regulation mechanism looks different okay. than what the typical literature will say about it being a mood elevator for somebody who's depressed. Um, And that's really a really important thing to put out there because that doesn't go with the association that exercise will make you happier. In fact, it can be this this cycle where somebody then ends up feeling trapped that they have to do this movement in order to not feel anxious. And I feel particularly close to this research because, as listeners know, if they've heard other podcasts of The Appetite, um, that I've outed myself of having my own eating disorder and my relationship with exercise and my compulsive relationship with exercise was actually probably the strongest piece of my disorder. And this particular aspect of affect regulation was the most difficult component for me. And so it's 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 something that, of course, I feel more passion to be educating about that exercise. It's not always making you happier. <laughs> it's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. It, absolutely. And it, I, I can imagine that the destruction that happens when you're avoiding something takes a lot longer to set in. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you're. If you're doing something in order to avoid bad feelings and you, you know, you go on your run or you do your workout or whatever it is and you wind up going like, okay, great, like Mm -hmm. feel better, feel good. It could take so long for any of that negative affect to kind of peek its head out in a way that is destructive or overwhelming because it's being suppressed. It's It's being being suppressed and held at bay so much through the exercise that you could think that actually it's working. It's working. It's it's working. I'm making myself feel better. It's very seductive. Yep. I like to think of it as, you know, that Band-Aid approach where it's very effective in the short term, Mm -hmm. but the emotions that you're suppressing often are related to things that need to be worked out in other things. For example, a relationship conflict or any, any source of whatever that distress is. If the solution again in that moment is exercise, it can again physically and mentally feel very effective in the short term, but it's not resolving the issue. And that issue is not going away. So it's, a, it's again, a myth to think that that's actually resolving the original distress right. that, you're, right. that you're doing. It's like having a drink. Exactly. Like, oh, I, you know, I feel more relaxed now. Exactly. But yeah. That's it. 
Yeah. They actually, in the research, do some comparison to the addiction model of even withdrawal symptoms. Really? So, yeah, even the literature suggests that it is as little as 24 hours without exercise may be sufficient to produce significant withdrawal symptoms. If, If someone's typically exercising every day? Yes. So withdrawal symptoms is the psychological effects that occur as a result of of not exercising. So they're talking about it in that in that literature as a psychological dependence on exercise to avoid the negative reinforcement. Whoa. Mm-hmm. What would some of those psychological stressors or symptoms suddenly look like? That's that anxiety and the guilt and okay. the depression that somebody is trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's an escalation of emotion, mm-hmm. not only around not being able to exercise, but then probably all the things that have been like stuffed or quote unquote helped by the exercise might get louder and bigger because mm-hmm. they all, don't have an outlet. Right. And also there can be the emotion related to how that um, also intersects with the body shaping piece, controlling the mood states or controlling this idea of losing weight or maintaining a particular body shape. And so the emotion that can come from that piece too. But it, yeah, it results in that negative psychological consequences in the withdrawal symptoms. I think that research is important to bring forward um, because it is one of those positive tools. The place it becomes problematic is if it is the only tool. And so um, I think even as a well-meaning parent or well-meaning friend, a, a way of proposing that is is maybe as one of the means of of caring for oneself, mm-hmm. right? As exercise is one of many means versus you should do this as, as the yeah. way of of resolving. I remember what's going you on emotionally. Yeah. I remember you saying on an earlier podcast when we were talking about movement that oftentimes when you're making a decision about what you need, there's often a question of is it that I need a nap or do I need to run? Yeah. And I was thinking about that um, this morning as I was preparing to talk to you about this again, that that's an interesting conflict where I think some people would assume those are opposites, but you're clearly tuned into something around what your emotional needs are at that moment that Mm. could kind of be satisfied by one thing or another. And there's some nuance there. Totally. Can you say more about what those... It's such a a real question. I I ask myself that almost every time I have time to myself. Is it a run or is it a nap? And I I think I've also said in my ideal world, I'd get both (laughs) in those moments. That that doesn't always happen. Um, I think... now I'm distracted. Now I actually forgot what you asked. Me. Are you desiring a nap or a run? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm thinking, which one do I want right now? No. <laughs> um, oh, I'm just. What curious. am I assessing? Like, what am I? Yeah. What are you assessing in those, in those moments? Yeah. I think both. I know both of those things meet needs, uh, and it, it's it's not always easy in the moment to say which one will be more effective. And I think I kind of have to let go of that, knowing that. They both meet needs, and I'm not going to be able to totally control the outcome. So for me, it's more of kind of checking myself to say that I'm like seeing that I'm choosing both in the big picture. I think, you know, and again, in my history, it was always, always the solution to that anxiety was was the was the movement. And I specifically remember it's this weird because I don't have great like specific memories, but I remember and maybe I've said this before in the podcast, but that last run I went on where it was so driven by this compulsive need that I felt like I was going to crawl out of my skin if I didn't do it. And I don't know how many listeners will relate to this, but with that way of looking at it, it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like I had to do it to be okay, like in 
kind of the, from a very fundamental level of being okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember that last, the last time that I did that and that I did the compulsive um, run to give into that, what felt like not, not a choice. And so I think the other thing, why it feels important to sort of have multiple tools in those moments is that part of, and we, we've talked about this actually in our rethinking exercise and sport group is that part of people's um, orientation towards movement is structured. Like people, some people are really rhythmic in their week and kind of have structure to the day and maybe even have structured times of the week that they're moving. And so it can be more habit, like just more habitual and not in a negative way. But I think one thing about being habitual and structured is it sometimes then doesn't give us the opportunity to see what's there when it's removed, to see that we can flex, that we're able to pivot and change gears or have another way of coping or another way of addressing our need. Or even simply that you would maybe get out of your routine and then suddenly you'd have maybe an unsuccessful experience of your day. Right. And go, oh, yeah. I'm feeling all these things now. Right. Or, I, you know, I really love my routine and now without it today, I feel X, Y, and Z. Right. And you just get to know yourself in right. a different way. Totally. It gives Which, us access to, the, it yeah. gives us access to understanding maybe the role of emotion with movement if we have a, something different in our week that helps illuminate that. Right. So I even would think of that could be uh, something to take um, from this conversation. If you happen to be somebody who's very routine is just change up that routine and see what emotion might be there as a place of curiosity and a starting place of seeing that connection. Because again, we don't examine that part of our lives very often. Mm -hmm. um, And that's not conversation we necessarily have with people. So it's a good starting place. There, I also want to make sure that we, we get to highlight that, a lot of people have the opposite experience yes. of what we're talking about. We're talking about people that are um, using exercise often routinely to manage emotion or avoid emotion or create an experience mm-hmm. of positive emotion for themselves. Mm-hmm. But and I fall more in this category of avoiding exercise, probably in some effort to avoid emotion. Emotion. Exactly. <laughs> so totally yep. different. I mean, yep. totally different in the same. Yep. Right? That yep. like – I could and have been working on my relationship with exercise because I know that there's a lot in there that I would like to begin feeling and begin exploring and also get to have different experiences of my body and my day and Mm -hmm. add more to my life rather than refrain Mm -hmm. and therefore have less. Yeah. Commonly, when we have the conversation on the avoidant side, of why people, what they're trying, what emotion they're trying to avoid if they're entering into exercise. Often what comes is they don't want to feel a sense of failure. There's a a fear of not being good enough. There's often a fear of um, being self-conscious of what are they going to look like when they're exercising? How are people going to perceive them? How are they going to judge themselves for maybe not being as good at movement as they used to be? There's a lot of comparison kind of to other people in the world and to themselves and their former, maybe as a as a high schooler that was a good athlete and they don't want to see the change in athletic ability. They might be very self-conscious about their body and their body shape, how their body looks when it's moving. There might be fear around uh, particular types of sports if they've told themselves they're not good at that. Again, those are very common um, examples of why people are afraid and they don't show up to the movement. 
And the cool thing, again, I'm like all jazzed because I actually was just in Rethinking Group this morning and we ha- we're having some conversation about that, is what we do at Opal, which is just fun to witness and I think encouragement to offer you listeners is in part of our programming is we do a movement group right after our Rethinking Group, which basically is this group where people get to engage in all types of creative movement, canoeing, uh golfing, um, dance, I mean, just all forms of, of movement. And because it's part of the structure of Opal, for those that have avoided movement, they are participating. Like nine times out of 10, what they've anticipated, it doesn't perfectly match up. So yes, there might be negative affect, there might be that self-consciousness and, you know, some of those things that they expected. But what else comes with it, which is so exciting, is they find some of the things that are like that they enjoy. Yeah. And that has a good experience and they feel connected to people and they're given the opportunity to see what's beyond the thing that they're trying to avoid in the emotion. And if you didn't have the opportunity, you're never going to know any of that. Or if you find out you hate the movement totally, then at least you're fully informed that you hate the movement versus just not never giving yourself the opportunity. And I just had this big wave of emotion this morning hearing the clients talk about it of like, you you get to have like life as a bigger playground to see and experience and see what you wouldn't even see for the way that you'd be afraid to not even engage in it. So anyways, I'm getting all I know, fired I think, up about it I, right now. I feel excited about that too. I think that it's it's interesting because I, I know that there this isn't exactly how I feel about it, but I'm I'm identifying with some of the sort of opportunity and excitement mm-hmm. there in movement because that also can be scary. Like mm-hmm. it can be scary to suddenly enjoy your body. It can be scary to feel connected. It can be scary to be like, oh my gosh, I really am having fun today. I want more fun in my life. Like sometimes there's numbing that's been happening around positive emotion yeah, too. Totally. And that isn't often talked about. Right. And whatever our experience in our body is through movement can bring up whatever's been not available. Right. So on all sides of the, the coin, it's like you're going to get tapped into maybe something new. Yes. Um, there's something to By learn. switching up your relationship to exercise. Yes. So I think here it, it, it really hones in this, probably the major message of this episode is all the places that you could learn by switching something up. Right. And seeing, again, the role of emotion and that being a place of... You know, I mean, I think it can be a place that we're detracting maybe from emotion, the original kind of source of emotion, but it also could be a beautiful place of just having emotion be expressed. Yes. I was just thinking about a friend of mine who I was connecting with in a time of mutual grief a while ago. And and she said that she had spent a lot of time in her own grief walking Mm -hmm. and just walking and walking and had found herself feeling like that was one of the only spaces where she got to process emotion, where she would kind of take the space out of her regular day and sort of the rhythm. I'm like doing this rhythm in my hand right now as I'm talking, this sort of almost a lulling. Yeah, it's meditative. Feeling, which is, 
I think, really important for us to be able to get access and our bodies can process new emotion in the same way. I mean, I have this experience when I'm like, you know, when I sweat a lot, it feels like you clear something out mm. like your or your my muscles get unstuck in places that were feeling stiff in the same way that I can feel emotion get unstuck in places that were feeling stiff, mm-hmm. stiff or rigid mm-hmm. and that's one of the beauties of being able to have a relationship with exercise that is not disordered or compulsive. Right. Totally. You can go, you know what? I'm feeling a lot right now and I'm going to go on a run and like have some space for myself here to just think about that or just breathe or mm-hmm. enjoy the fall leaves as, you know, I feel anxious or sad or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of benefit in it. Once all of the work right, is undone right. to parse out where it might be used right. rather than, what I mean, delighted in or. And even like I'm thinking when you're saying it makes me think of modes of movement matching to emotion and you're talking about the walk and I think of um, the function of running in my life or something that has that kind of repetitive where you, you don't have to think about what the movement you're doing. Right. Yeah. And that gives you access maybe to um, ability to kind of connect, process, et cetera, because you're not having to think so much about the movement. And then I think of my experience in group sports or in basketball where there's so much novelty, so much is coming at you. And in that particular sport, because there's contact, like that is my place to get out aggression. So like that's such a great receptacle of anger for me and aggression, but also yeah, the novelty, the creativity. Yeah. Um, you can't predict outcome because you're playing on a team and you don't know how everyone else is going to be doing. You can't really predict yours. So just again, like the what the opportunity and different modes of movement to express particular emotion and even discovering for yourself how fun, I don't know, again, maybe another prompt is how fun to, if that's starting to pique your interest as you're hearing this, like what you could be, what, what intentions you could have about um, I want to express anger and I want to express it in this type of mode of movement mm-hmm. um, and see what comes. Or I want to express sadness and I want to try it in this form of movement. Yep. Or I want to express my envy and see what it's like in this form of movement. Mm-hmm. I've also sometimes like um, ice hockey was a, a sport I played a lot mm-hmm. when I was younger and there was an ice rink near my house. And so skating is the only thing I can do that I feel like I'm way better that way better than everyone else at mm-hmm. and I feel powerful and I feel strong and I feel really capable and I also feel really nostalgic in that mm-hmm. space and mm-hmm. so for me it's been interesting to experiment with like spending some time going to a rink and skating alone and letting myself be powerful and yet also really connected to home and my childhood and all these things all at once so cool. Oh, yeah. It's always such a nice thing where I carve out time for that. Yeah. Um, and again, like you're having awareness, right, around that particular form of movement brings about those experiences and those yeah. emotions. So then you can use that. Right. Like how cool. Right. I miss home and I go skate. Yeah. It's great. Uh, right. And sad sometimes. <laughs> so another like motive for why it would be helpful to explore this part of our lives. Right. Because maybe those things happen, but man, how how much more kind of maybe satiating, if we're going appetite theme, satiating <laughs> it is, if we know that that is how we can, like that we're actually metabolizing it because we're in, we know that we're getting that. We can anticipate it. We can have like the full experience with it. 
Yes. Like a good meal. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Another really exciting announcement um, is that Opal is going to be opening an outpatient athlete clinic in 2020. So stay tuned. But currently we are looking for a sports medical doctor um, to be a part of our clinic. And this will help us be able to serve more athletes in the Pacific Northwest. And we're really excited um, about this opportunity. Well, again, if, if you've been listening and you feel inspired and prompted by some of the conversation Kara and I have been having today, we would love to hear from you. And here, you know, if there are further questions that you have, you can reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or by email. Or if you want, you can just drop us a line and let us know what you love to do. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Bye.